0: Actually, that was about 67% of you. Good morning. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, it's good to see you. And then turn to the other person and say, it's also good to see you, but I did say that to you second. Sorry. <laughs> well, morning everyone. Um, it's always... Thanks Dave, whoa, hello, you can all hear me, that is good, Um, I think I'm so used to teaching and like using my teacher voice that I didn't even realise that the microphone wasn't on. Um, Well it is always a privilege for me to come and share the word with you, so thank you Clive and Sally for the opportunity and thank you all for being gracious and patient and listening to me this morning. Um, you know I I was thinking as I was preparing this week isn't it exciting to be part of our church like there is so much going on at the moment it's just amazing like we had a wedding yesterday it was a really really amazing wedding who was here for the wedding it was great wasn't it really awesome to see Christian and Ruth make that commitment to each other in front of God and with us all Um, what else have we got going on we've got um, the conference coming up which If I can just do one more plug for that, it's an amazing opportunity for us to just get away from the busyness of day-to-day life and really encounter God. I mean, there's going to be some great speakers at the conference, but we don't go for the speakers. We go because God is going to be there and he's going to be there to speak to our lives. And we've got Masterclass as well. Who's doing a part of Masterclass one more time? Yeah, amazing. Um, I've just enjoyed it so much. I felt like there's been such an amazing kind of depth and level of teaching. So a huge thank you to Clive and Sally for organizing that and for Andy and Alison for kind of making all of the logistics of that happen as well. Um, The fourth part of Masterclass is all about practical leadership. And we've been looking at how to prepare a message recently and unpicking all of the annoying habits that speakers have when they when they share their words. So if I see loads of people making notes this morning, no pressure, right? <laughs> Was don't count how many ums and ers I make and how much pacing and jangling of keys I do. Um, but we have been doing this fantastic series called the Big, right? And it started on Easter Sunday. We had a great word from Pastor Clive about the Big. Ooh, who can remember? Begins with an M. That's right, Ben, the big must, the big must. We must be born again or born from above to experience the new eternal life that is found in Jesus. And then we moved on to the big take. Good, the big take. And Pastor Sally shared us an amazingly challenging word about how we need to receive Christ actively in our lives in every area. And she likened, our lives to a house and said, if our lives were like a house, how welcome is Christ into our homes? Do we shove him into the spare room with all the other junk or do we let him come and take the whole house and sweep it and clean it and put it in order for us, which is what he does amazingly. And then we moved on fast forward seven days and Steve shared a fantastic word with us about the big takeaway, not About a lamb madras, but about the lamb, do you see what I did there? Of God who takes away the sin of the world. I feel like I'm ready to become a dad. (laughs) And he made a really brilliant, poignant point that in order to understand grace, we need to understand the severity. Of sin in our lives. You see, without a strong doctrine of sin, we cannot have a strong doctrine of grace. See, if we don't understand the extent to which we've been forgiven, we won't be grateful for being forgiven. And last week, Pastor Clive shared a great word with us about the big who can remember. Try and test the person next to you. The big giveaway, that's right. That's right, brilliant. The big giveaway that, um, what does it mean to be really filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, we, um, we don't just pretend that we're alive. We don't just pretend in kind of, kind of a hope of something to come that we, we've got this life. We had this brilliant picture of Christian holding a, an electric cable. And he was sort of like dancing around like this, like, yeah, I'm electrified. And Joe Dean, on the other hand, you know, if his career in medicine doesn't work out, he's gonna make a brilliant stage actor, really alive with the Holy Spirit, alive with the electric power of God. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Receiving that gift for our lives. What a recap, huh? You guys still with me? Brilliant. Okay, well, let's move on to this morning. So this morning's message is called The Big Tell. And I actually want to start this morning's message with you. Okay, The Big Tell, and it's going to start with you. So with the person next to you, find someone next to you. You got someone to turn to? I want you. It's okay, Paul. You can tell me. I want you to tell me or tell the person next to you, You've got 45 seconds to tell them about something that you are really passionate about. Something you're really excited about. Now, this could be something you're interested in. It could be something you've learned recently. It could be some news that you're really excited about. It could be a cause that's close to your heart. Whatever. You, you got an idea of what you could share? Yeah? All right, 45 seconds. Off you go. two, one, stop, you're still going, stop, Yeah, you know, anyone would take you to actually be passionate about this thing, right, now that that person has done a brilliant amount of listening, flip it on its head, and the you've done it both ways already, you've done it both ways, okay, right, I wonder if we could get a microphone, have we got a microphone, John? Despiértate wake up. Okay, right. Um, who are we going who are we going to get to share the passionate exciting thing this morning that they're really interested in. No, not someone at the back. Okay, Steve, come on. Steve Right, you now, you don't have 45 seconds, you've got less than 30 seconds, off you go. What I'm passionate about, what Paul was passionate about. What you're passionate about. So I was passionate, I said to Paul that I'm passionate about people living out an authentic Christian life, so really being impacted by Jesus, mm. and not pretending, not going through the motions, not just pretending everything's okay when it's not, but really being genuinely healed and impacted by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. Wow, let's give him a round of applause. That was a typical, brilliant Sunday answer, right? Um, let's go to one of the doctors. Doctors always have interesting things to tell us. Tell us about Jodine. Tell us what Jodine is interested in. So Jodine's in. really excited about the cricket World Cup. Okay. Well, let's hear it from the lips of the man himself. Go on, Jodine. Tell us why are you so excited about the cricket World Cup? Well, I was really into cricket, so I've been into it since I was six years old. Um, the World Cup's coming to England. England are the number one team at the minute. Oh. Biggest chance to win the, first, the World Cup for the first time for England. Um, and yes, yeah, so lots of cricket going on, so time for everyone to get into it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> wow. I never knew that you could get passionate about cricket. There you go. Well... I wonder this morning, you know, how did how was that experience for you? Was it hard to talk about that thing? Was it easy? Did the time go really slowly or did it go really fast? It went fast, right? Um, now let me tell you about something I'm passionate about very briefly. Some of you will know that when I get a moment away from schoolwork and homework and marking and planning lessons, um, I love to go to the gym. And recently an old friend of mine set up a gym uh, with his friend just the other side of the biker bridge. And it's awesome. It's like this really small personal gym. Um, it's got this really friendly atmosphere, there's loads of great equipment around and the lads are always sort of on hand to give you like expert advice on, on your training and help you reach your goals and it's the kind of gym where you can like leave your bag anywhere and you don't need to worry about it getting nicked by anyone. Everybody talks to everybody. Um what else? You know, um, the guys always show you how to get your technique right when you're lifting. Um, and it's only 20 pounds a month. Isn't that good? And there's no contract either. Ooh. And what's even better is that it was converted. They, they converted this gym from an old motorbike garage. You know, like the ones at the bottom of the West Road. So in my mind, that just makes it even cooler because it's like this grungy, cool, like old ex-biker gym. Um but really nice as well. And, you know, some of you here have been subject to me trying to convince you to join too. I apologize, sort of. Are you convinced though? Does that sound like a good deal? It does sound like a good deal, right? Um, but do you notice how easy and how natural it is to talk to someone about something that you're really passionate about? You know, something you genuinely believe in. And did you see how easy then it was for me just to talk about the gym and how, how I can say, hey, look how much it's done in me and for me. Okay, don't, don't comment on that too much. <laughs> but look at what it could do through you as well. And I wonder, do we carry that same sense of wonder and awe and overflow when it comes to the gospel? And that was certainly the case for the apostles in Acts chapter 4. So turn with me if you will. Let's open our Bibles. Acts chapter 4 this morning. And we'll start from verse 1. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Wow. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the priest's family they had peter and john brought before them and began to question them by what power or what name did you do this this they refer to is the lame man who they met in the chapter before outside the temple gate who they raised and he got his he got his um, legs back so to speak an amazing miracle so by what power or what name did you do this and then verse 8 peter Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing before them, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. Why don't we pray this morning? Father, I want to thank you for this amazing experience of personally encountering Jesus, of being born from above, of having all of our sin and shame taken away at the cross, of being filled with and empowered by your Holy Spirit. It really is amazing. Father, help us to live visibly different lives, that your word might shine through us, that your spirit would overflow through us, and tell the world of how amazing you are. Father, may we hear your word to us today. May we receive it into our hearts. And may we put it into practice, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanna look this morning at three very simple things that I can pull out from the example of Peter and John, something that I see in their lives about the power of our witness. And this is a power that can radically change and transform a person's life. And if we move effectively in this power, not only that, but also alter the course of someone's destiny it's amazing what an amazing power and it all starts with this first thing if you're taking notes is the power of our words the power of our words do you notice how Peter is ready with his own words with his own defense he's ready with the word of God as well when he's asked to present his case before the priests and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees he says, "Rulers." And elders of the people, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's right there in it with his words straight away, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. He doesn't pull any punches with his words either that this man stands before you healed. He says, Jesus is, and then he quotes Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now I hadn't put this in my notes this morning, but do you notice how Peter knows the scripture and his knowledge of the scripture is an effective witness of Jesus. How can you be an effective witness of Jesus if you don't know the scripture? Let's read the scripture. Let's really invest our lives in it and know it and be able to kind of command it and bring it forward when we need because it is the word of God himself. Now, sorry, where was I? Salvation is found, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, I think this might sound like a fairly obvious thing to highlight, but we often forget that as Paul says in his letter to the the Romans, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. How can we stir faith in people if they don't hear the word of God? If we don't speak up about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, how can we lead people into faith? You know, there's a great quote often attributed to a, um, an Italian friar from uh, the 1100s and eighteen sorry, and the 1200s. Uh, his name was Francis of Assisi. And he supposedly says, says this. He says, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words You know what as as nice a statement as it is and I think he's trying to get across this point that who we are is just as important as as what we say Do you know what it's wrong <laughs> he never actually said that <laughs> he never actually said that You know Mindsets like this can lead us down a wrong path of thinking. We could say, oh, it's all about the lifestyle. Or, yes, I don't have to speak up about the gospel. I can just live my Christian life and people will see God's glory shining through. Religion, my my faith is a personal matter, therefore I'll keep it personally to myself and if people inquire, okay, I'll share, but I don't need to push it on people. That is wrong. Turn to the person next to you, just say, Wrong! Of course live the lifestyle, but we need to use our words as well. We need to acknowledge Jesus with our lips. Otherwise, how will people know who Jesus is and what he's done for us? There's a fascinating story that I came across um, about a group of people called the Fisherman's Fellowship. And I need a few volunteers to help me demonstrate this story this morning. So... Um, Lily will you give me a hand Nathan you can give me a hand in a minute okay Matthew you come and give us a hand and John come and give us a hand right the Fishermen's Fellowship they're a really uh, interesting bunch of people so let's, let's get you guys some uh, this was the best thing we could get closest to uh, fisherman jackets here's your fisherman jacket Right. Um, we don't need you right now but come back in, in a minute nice there's always a bit of a drama with the Fisherman's Fellowship. There you go. Okay, so here are the Fisherman's Fellowship. Okay, and I want to read you this story because I think it can, it can. Uh, it's best if you hear it from this. Now, your, your challenge, guys, is to act to mime out this story as I tell it. Do you think you can do it? You feeling about good good drama students this morning? Good, okay. Here we go. You ready? You were born ready, Matthew. You can do this. There was a group called the Fisherman's Fellowship. They were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish and the thrill of catching fish. Good job. They got excited about fishing. (laughs) Someone suggested that they needed a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined and redefined fishing and the purpose of fishing. They developed fishing strategies and tactics. Then they realized that they'd been going at it backwards. They had approached the fishing from the point of view of the fishermen and not from the point of view of the fish. How do fish view the world? How does the fisherman appear to the fish? What defeat ish? What what defeat ish? <laughs> what do fish eat? <laughs> it's quite a tongue twister. And when? How do fish view the world? These are all good things to know. So they began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. Some even got PhDs. Lily, that's you. Hey! In, wait for it, fishology. But no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. Now as prospective fishing places outnumbered the fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. So, a priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards in all of the fellowship halls. But still, no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. Most didn't answer the survey. But from those that did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish, a few felt the, the calling to furnish fishing equipment and then to smash fishing equipment. <laughs> and several to go around encouraging the fishermen. And what with meetings, conferences and seminars, they just simply didn't have the time to fish. Now Jake was a newcomer to the Fishermen's Fellowship. And after one stirring meeting of fellowship, a stirring meeting, yeah. Jake, believe it or not, went fishing. He tried a few things, he got the hang of it, and he caught a choice fish. next meeting, he told his story. He was honored for his catch. And then he was scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell how he did it. (laughs) Now because of, wait, 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 because of all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of directors of the Fisherman's Fellowship, Jake no longer had time to to go fishing but soon he began to feel restless and empty he longed to feel the tug on the line once again so he cut the speaking he resigned from the board and he said And he said, (laughs) and he said to a friend, grab a friend. He said to a friend, let's go fishing. So they did, just the two of them. And you know what? (laughs) They caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishes were few. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Well done, thank you so much. Now, as, you know, daft and funny a story as that is, doesn't it sound very familiar? Sadly, I think at its core is... It's got a very challenging point. You know, isn't it completely bonkers to think that a group of fishermen who are passionate about fishing wouldn't actually go out and fish? So why do we talk so much about witnessing, about evangelism, about sharing our faith and not actually do it? You know, my heart for us this morning is to go away from this meeting inspired and excited to share the joy and share the life that we have in Jesus with our families, with our friends, with our work colleagues, with the people that we meet. But it is worth asking ourselves some serious and searching questions this morning. Am I excited to tell people about what Jesus has done for me? Am I telling people enough about what Jesus has done for me? And if the answer to any of those questions is Maybe not. What are the barriers? Why is it that I'm not telling? Is it fear of rejection? Am I embarrassed to be a Christian? Am I worried about what people might think of me? Am I worried I might offend people? Do I actually genuinely care enough for other people? Or have I not really got it myself yet? Am I just being too apathetic and would rather sit at home and watch a series on Netflix? Am I worried perhaps that I'll let Christ down? You see, we have a command from Jesus himself to share the hope that we have in him with others. You can read it for yourselves in Matthew 28. And I think you're going to look at it this week in your city groups. But no, it wasn't just a command for those few disciples that were there with him then when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a command for us now here who put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. But it really is worth asking ourselves, based based on my obedience to Christ's command, to share my faith with others, what conclusion do I think he would draw about my love for him? Let me say that again. Based on my obedience to Christ's command to share my faith with others, what conclusion do I think he would draw about my love for him? Do I really love him? Am I truly joyful about the life that I have in him? You see, people are looking for Jesus in all kinds of places. They don't know who he is even when they're looking. And if we don't tell people about Jesus, how will they know what, who they're looking for? A witness tells their story. That's all it is, telling your story. You see, nobody can argue with your story. It's your story. It can't be disagreed with because it's personal. It's your own experience. In Psalm 107, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he has redeemed from the hand of the foe. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter four, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. But Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the likeness, the exact likeness of God. But do you know what? We have triumphed over him. The enemy, Satan, all his tricks, all his deception, all his blinding of the eyes, we have overcome it. Do you know how? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testament. Do you see? Our testimony has the power to break Satan's hold over people's lives. Isn't that amazing? Our words have power. Why don't you just say that with me? Our words have power. Do you know what else has power? Our lives. The power of our lives. Notice how in Acts, again, in that passage that we were studying, that we're looking at this morning, Peter and John's lives, their actions and their reputation precedes them. If we look back at um, verse 13, it says, When they that's the priests and and the elders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And note this bit. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who was healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Our words are so important. But it isn't just about our words. It's our lives too. Recently in our city group, we were talking about um, franchises and what a franchise chain or a franchise um, restaurant is. And brief idea is that as a small business, say you are like a little restaurant manager, you want to kind of take your business to the next level. You can buy in to a franchise and become a franchisee of a franchiseur. The idea that you take over, you adopt the brand name of a big company like McDonald's or Burger King or Costa or Starbucks and you still run the business, it's your own business to run, but everything that you do now falls under the authority of the name of the brand that you represent. So if you become a McDonald's restaurant, you adopt the double arches logo you pick up the uniforms your shop gets a remake and it becomes a McDonald's shop you get McDonald's burgers you cook them the McDonald's way you serve things in the McDonald's the way that they serve things right and I thought we could put it to the test this morning you up for that you guys know that I love burgers now Let's see. You know, when you, when you go, I was thinking about this the other day, and when you go away, some of you might be very cultured and go and try authentic food and new cafes and real authentic restaurants. Those of you with children, I imagine, know the familiar story of going abroad and going to McDonald's, right? Or going to a Burger King or going to Starbucks. Why do we do it, though? We do it because we know what we're getting. You want a McDonald's burger? Go to McDonald's, you'll get the taste of the McDonald's burger. You want a Burger King burger? Go to Burger King, you'll get the taste of a Burger King burger. You want a Five Guys burger? Go to Five Guys, you'll get the taste. You get the idea, right? So um, I'm going to elect the the best burger connoisseur that I know in this room, aside from myself. Um, I say that not in pride, but in a little bit of shame. Adam, why don't you come up here? Let's give him a round of applause this morning. Okay, Adam, come and join me on the stage. How well does Adam know his burger brands? He thinks he knows them pretty well. Let's find out this morning. We're going to blindfold you, Adam. I call this the blindfold burger baffling um, bamboozle. Good. And I have um, bought, you would not believe the extent that I have gone to to try and get these burgers this morning, two burgers from two different restaurant chains, very famous restaurant chains, as you shall see. Okay, don't give them away. Adam is going to taste the burger and tell us which restaurant is the burger from. Okay, so, hold on, hold on, Adam. Burger number one, can you guys, don't shout it out, but can you all see where this this burger is from? Yeah? You can all see the name of that brand there? Okay, are you ready, Adam? Give it a feel, give it a taste. You can't see? Enjoy that burger. Slightly cold from last night on the way home from Ruth and Christian's wedding. (laughs) Do you need a bit more time, or do you think... You know? Have we got a microphone? Adam, where do you think this burger is from? McDonald's. Let's give him a round of applause. Excellent, good job. Okay, put that one down, put that one down. You can finish it later. He does get two burgers out of this, pretty good. Right, now, that's that's pretty good. But that could be a bit of a fluke. I mean, you know, where would you go to for a burger? McDonald's is like the obvious choice. If he really knows his burgers, then he is going to know what this one is. Now, this one is a bit harder to see, but can you all see the brand name on the side of this bag here? Yeah, you got it? Okay, Adam, go for it. Give that burger a taste. Can you tell where is this burger from? He looks thoughtful, but he looks pretty certain too. Adam, where is this burger from? No, I don't eat there, there, so that puts me at a disadvantage for Burger King. Wow! Okay, take that blindfold off. Thank you, Adam. Well done. Good job. The seeds on the bone gave it away. Good job. Well, you go and enjoy those burgers or do whatever you want with them. I don't mind. Don't just leave this one. Come on, there's two. You go to McDonald's, you expect a McDonald's burger. You go to Burger King, you expect a Burger King burger. You expect the taste, the texture, the level and service, the level of service, the speed of service. You know, if the restaurant bears the name of its owner, it better bear the reputation too, right? How confused would you be if you went to McDonald's expecting a McDonald's burger and you pull out an entirely different burger? I would be disappointed. I would take it back and say, hey, this isn't what I bought. This isn't what I signed up for. Give me the real deal. You see, reputation matters. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make with our lives? Our actions back up our words. You know, I promised that I would not rant about this this morning, but I think it bears a point. I'm not going to rant, but I am going to make a point. I tried to get those burgers last night. Went to McDonald's, got the drive-thru, fine. Picked up the cheeseburger, fine. I then, on the way home from this wedding in, in Hexham, drove and thought, right, I need to get a Burger King burger. Drove down the Central Motorway, went to the Burger King at Newcastle Central Station, and their restaurant closes at 11 p.m. I got there at 10.53 p.m. True Harvest style, cutting it fine to the line, right? But I thought, you know, I'm cutting it fine, but that's seven minutes, that's still enough time for me to buy a burger, right? Right? The door to the restaurant was locked. And I stood there, and I thought, I could either walk away from this, or I could get really stubborn, dig my heels in, and Revelation 3 came to mind. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, I also thought of the parable of the persistent widow. So I knock, and there's a lady cleaning, sweeping the floor. And she sees me, and she says, Closed. Do you know what my reply was? (laughs) And we had (laughs) this silent conversation through through the glass door of Burger King in Newcastle Central Station. It's five minutes still. I can still buy a burger. And she just ignored me and carried on sweeping. I could have walked away. (laughs) I did not walk away. (laughs) I kept on knocking. I thought, you know, if that widow was persistent and kept on bothering that judge, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Surely the lady in Burger King would give me justice, right? Eventually... Now, this was like, this was a good 10 minutes. Lily, bless her, was waiting in the car for ages outside. She came up to the door, this lady, and she said, I'm sorry, we're closed. And I said, look, I, I just want to buy one burger. And I can see that you've got three burgers there that are not being used. I don't mind what burger it is, just a burger. It's for, a, for an illustration at church tomorrow. And she said, that was probably the, the wrong line to use, wasn't it? But she said, I'm sorry, we're closed. My manager said, no, we're closed. And I said, well, I'd like to speak to your manager then, please. <laughs> Do you know where the manager was? <sighs> you know it gets serious when you pull out that line. The manager was, was um, kind of hiding around the back, cleaning the kitchen and things. So she was like, fine. And she walked off, um, I think had a chat with the manager. But she came back and she said, I'm sorry, the manager refuses to see you. And she said, I can't, I can't, I can't kind of not follow the orders of my manager. And I said, fair enough, I understand that. But I walked away from that incredibly disappointed and kind of saddened because you go to a place that bears a name, you expect the level of service, don't you? I mean, fine, if it was like, billy's burger bar then sure right they might be cleaning up they might have closed early they might have finished but a big brand like that you expect the service don't you do you know that we represent the biggest name in the whole world are we representing him well you know we can't say god's a priority and then not prioritize god in our lives We can't say God answers our prayers and then continually skip the prayer meeting because we're too tired or too lazy to go. We can't proclaim the awesomeness of God's grace and forgiveness in our lives if we don't graciously forgive people who have wronged us. And we can't share about how God meets every single one of our needs in supernatural ways if we're not prepared to meet the basic needs of people in our city groups. Please, I'm not having a rant at you this morning, but it is so important that we represent Christ well. I wonder what impression of Christ does your next door neighbor have based on their interactions with you? What do your business clients assume Christians to be like based on their dealings with you? How do your work colleagues perceive Christ based on the conversations that you have with them over lunch? You know, for me at school, I might ask myself, what impression do the kids that I teach have of a spirit-filled believer because they know that I'm a Christian based on their impression of me both inside and outside the classroom? Some of them are here today, so maybe we shouldn't ask. (laughs) But you know, your life is your witness. Does it line up with your words? The two things go hand in hand. Your life, your words. Your life, your words. Now, I could leave it there this morning, but then we'd be missing the vital, most important key ingredient of all. You see, there's another power here in all of us today who have believed and received Jesus as our Lord and Christ, and we can't forget it. This is the power that turns us from timid people who fumble over our words into confident, bold, passionate, compassionate communicators of the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look again at Peter and John in Acts chapter four. If you look at verse seven, I know I'm reading this again and again today, but repetition, I think, is key. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a lame man, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed today. You know, if you look at the life of Peter through the gospels, you'll see that he was a very different Peter before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, he was erratic. He wasn't true to his word. He was quick to speak, quick to action, quick to kind of say, right, here I am. But then he would let the Lord down in the key moment. But look at him filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the results speak for themselves. Look at verse four. It says, many who heard the message believed and that number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Look at the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. And Jesus says this. Before he was crucified, when he spent his last kind of few hours, the last kind of time with his disciples, he said to them, when the counselor comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Do you see that? He will testify about me. And you also must testify. And in John chapter 16, one chapter later, he says, when he comes, the spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, when you talk about Jesus, when you share the hope that you have in him, it's not just you communicating this hope by yourself. The Holy Spirit is there with you, in you, leading you and guiding you and not only stirring and moving in you, but stirring and moving in the people that you're communicating with too. We're not alone. Turn to the person next to you, say, you're not alone. We don't have to witness alone. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness Through him. So expect God to use you. You know, you can be sure that that same resurrection power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave lives in you today through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if my witness were only to come through me, I'm bound to be afraid of what people are going to think of me. I'm bound to worry that i'll mess up my relationship with the other person i could well be hindered by the thought of how could this person ever come to faith when i see how far removed they are from the gospel but that's exactly why i need the holy spirit to work through my witness you see without the holy spirit and his power our efforts would be both useless and fruitless Apart from him, we don't have the capacity in our lives to influence people for Christ. All of our efforts would be in vain if he's not enabling us. But it is the Holy Spirit's job to empower us and our testimony, to give us courage and the words, to empower our actions with supernatural grace, with supernatural works, and to work through our witnessing in the heart of the receiver and you know we're not responsible for the outcome either we're called to be a witness witnesses share their story the outcome is up to God but it is our responsibility to be his witness and to obey his words in our everyday lives and we do it through the Holy Spirit's power so just some questions for us to think about this morning. Am I, am I really alive in the Holy Spirit? Have I really caught a hold of what Jesus has done for me? And do I really recognize its significance in my life and the significance that it bears on the lives of the people that I meet day by day? You see, if I have an active, flowing and flourishing relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit, my witness isn't just something that I think about. It's not just an area of my Christian life that I try and work on. My witness is a natural byproduct of the life in me. If I'm really filled with the Holy Spirit, it's gonna naturally flow out of me, right? Both in my life, both in my actions, both in my reactions and in my words as well. Remember the promise that we receive is that the same spirit that was on Jesus and in Jesus, is also on and in us. Just as Jesus was anointed at his baptism with the Holy Spirit and his power, so now are we also anointed and enabled to carry on his work on this earth. So what Jesus did then is what you and I are enabled to do now. And you know what he promised He said, you will do even greater things. If we let the Holy Spirit work through us and flow through us, we can do even greater things. Wow. Do we really believe that this morning? Just think how different your life could look, how different this city could look, how different our families, our workplaces would look if we really took that and made it true in our lives. Even greater things. And yet it's because the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. You're not alone. The Spirit stands with you in your witness. When I was thinking about how we could respond to this this morning, I thought, um, it's quite simple, really. There are just two things, two things that we need to do. The first is receive the Holy Spirit. And the second, go and witness. Go and share the hope that you have in Christ. And that's why we've been doing this series, because we have received the Spirit of Christ. You know, a lot, I, I think a lot of us were here last Sunday when Pastor Clive preached about being filled with the Spirit. Now, sometimes we might feel really kind of emotionally different. We might have an incredible like out-of-body experience. We might kind of feel a tingling in our fingers and our toes. Sometimes we don't. And that's Okay. I felt as I was just going, reflecting this morning before coming here, the Holy Spirit wanted to say, if you have asked for me to come and fill you in your life, believe that it has happened. Believe that it has happened. That's what Christ promised us. That's what the Bible tells us. So receive the Spirit's power and be filled with his faith with that power and go and witness. I think there are some really practical tips that we can take on as well as we apply it into our lives this week. And I've just got four very simple reflections to share with you before we close this morning. And my first point is this, live visibly different lives. Now by this, I don't mean take a holier than now like Pharisee approach to life and you know, boast to everyone about how awesome you are in God. But I do mean that it should be clear that you follow Jesus in your everyday life. You're his disciple after all. And as you do, let your words, let your deeds, let your actions, let your reactions, let your character speak for themselves. Don't try and cover up your mistakes with all the other things that you aren't really proud of. Don't pretend that you're perfect, but do seek to live a life that is visibly different and shows that you are a disciple of Christ. Live visibly different lives. Second practical tip: tell personal stories. You know, we said earlier, no one can argue with your story, and we all have personal stories and experiences with Jesus. I used to think that oh, my story's not really that exciting. I remember hearing like um, these amazing evangelists and preachers come to church and like share their their story. I remember hearing about a guy that got stung by a jellyfish and then. Felt like he had an experience of of seeing hell and then being brought back and then meeting Jesus. And I, I remember thinking, "Wow, my story's not like that. I didn't get stung by a jellyfish and nearly die." But, but you know what? Your story is personal, and not many other people have been stung by jellyfish in their lives. People will relate more to your story than they will to the story of the jellyfish man. As wow as that story is, your story is more relatable. It's more personal. It's more real. And that's what people want to hear. How Jesus is real to you, how your faith works in you and through your life. Live visibly different lives. Tell personal stories. Bring the gospel to people. Don't just bring people to the gospel. Now, I hope that when it comes to church, when people come here for the first time, I hope that they meet the gospel through our worship, through our prayers and our messages. If they don't, then we must be doing something wrong and we need to put it right, right? But it's not just here. Church isn't the only place that people can hear the gospel, right? Bring it into your workplace. Bring it into your home. Bring it into the cafe when you're catching up with an old friend. Pray for opportunities to do this as well. And think about the role that you create in your city group. To, pre- to create that context in which people can encounter Jesus. Live visibly different lives, tell personal stories, bring the gospel to people, and finally, take small steps. I think sometimes some of us can set the bar really high for ourselves and say, well, if I'm not stood at Gray's Monument two times a week, preaching and declaring the gospel for two hours at least, then I'm just failing in my witness. And then we just give up. But you know, there are so many opportunities for you to bring the gospel into your normal day-to-day life. If you ask the Holy Spirit to open up your eyes to the opportunities around you, you will see that those opportunities are in abundance. Jesus might not particularly be calling you to be the next Billy Graham. Maybe he is. But even then, start by taking small steps. Begin at home. Begin with your kids. Represent Christ well to your kids. Represent him well to your wife, to your husband. Speak his truth in your home. Witness Jesus. Start with your friends. Start with your workplace. Begin where you live and you work, where you study, where you play sports, where you do your exercise. Start somewhere and let it grow. Live visibly different lives, tell personal stories, bring the gospel to people, take small steps. I really believe that this is a message that we can all respond to this morning. Whether we feel like we are powerhouses in our witness or whether we need a lot of help from the Holy Spirit. So why don't we all stand to our feet this morning? And we're all going to pray. We're all going to declare because I believe there's power when we put things in our own Mouths, when we declare things with our lips, it's so much more than just thinking it in our heads. Why don't you pray with me this morning? The words are gonna come up on the screen. Father, thank you for the amazing experience of personally knowing Jesus and of being born from above. Empower me today by the Holy Spirit to be your witness And share the hope that I have in you with my words. Help me to live a visibly different life. May your words shine through me and may your spirit overflow through me and tell the world of how amazing you are. Amen. Amen. Are you empowered to witness? Are you ready to share your story? Let's go do it.